Welcome to the Green Acres Podcast. We are so glad you're here. At Green Acres, we strive to transform lives with the truth of Jesus. Today I want to talk about how to faith the storms of life. Now, here's the disclaimer up front. I preached this message here in 2014, but most of you have totally forgotten it. and Some of you are new. But after the first service, somebody did come up and showed me the notes from when I preached it before. They still had it in their Bible. And that's not a typo, how to faith the storms of life. Uh, because faith is a verb, and when you f- encounter adversity and trouble, you need to approach it with faith. You know, we're going to be talking about a miracle of Jesus calming a storm, and, and it's hard to predict the weather. I he- heard a funny story about a group of Native Americans up in South Dakota. They went to their tribal chief and said, uh, is it going to be a cold winter? And he was embarrassed to admit he didn't really know, so he just called up the National Weather Service. And the forecaster said, yeah, we believe it's going to be a cold, cold winter. And so he went back to the tribe and said, okay, start collecting firewood. It's going to be a cold winter. A couple of weeks later, he still wasn't sure about it. So the chief called the National Weather Service again. And the forecaster said, yeah, we still believe it's going to be a pretty cold winter. He went back to his tribe, said, start collecting firewood. Keep on collecting firewood, cold winter. A couple of weeks later, he called back and the forecaster said, now we know for certain that this is going to be one of the coldest winters in history. And the chief said, well, how do you know that? And the forecaster said, the Indians are collecting firewood like crazy. (laughs) So this is a miracle where Jesus is going to calm a storm on the Sea of Galilee. But it's not a sea, it's a freshwater lake. And it's 600 feet below sea level, 14 miles long, seven miles wide at the widest point. I've been there many times. It's, uh, I've been out on the, on the lake and with it totally calm and then just uh, in a matter of moments, the wind can funnel through the mountains there. Before you know it, the waves can get really high. So those things happen. Now, this happened at nighttime. It should have taken them three hours to get across the lake. But what started out as a three-hour tour the weather started getting rough. The tiny ship was tossed. If not for the courage of the mighty Lord, the disciples would be lost. But they didn't end up on a desert isle. Instead, they experienced a miracle. Let's read about it. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. If you're willing and able to stand, I invite you to stand as we honor God through the reading of his word. On that day when evening had come, he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the sea So they left the crowd and took him along since he was in the boat, and other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. He was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. So they woke him up and said to him, "'Teacher, Rabbi, don't you care that we're going to die?' He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, "'Silence, be still.'" The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. The word there is mega calm. And then he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked one another, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray. Father, I pray that by the end of this message that everybody listening to my voice will be able to answer that question Who is this one that even the wind and the sea obey him? And may everyone know you, Lord, as their personal Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks be seated. If you 
have noticed over in the Crosswalk Conference Center, we have a Life of Christ art gallery. And one of the pictures I selected there is this picture by Rembrandt, the Dutch master called The Storm on the Sea of Galilee. But if you look closer at it, you'll find out that there are 13 disciples, Jesus plus 13 disciples, because when you zoom in on the picture, you discover that Rembrandt painted himself into the picture. He's the guy there looking out at the viewer with his little beret that he's holding on. He, had, he did several self-portraits wearing that beret, holding on to a rope. He's next to one of the disciples who's leaning over the rail of the boat, losing his supper. I think Rembrandt was trying to bring us to the understanding that we are there in the storm with Jesus, and he can calm storms in our lives. And Rembrandt also painted some of the disciples were looking at the storm, and some of them were looking at the Savior. And so when you go through a storm, don't look at the storm, keep your eyes on the Savior. By the way, that picture, you can't see the original anymore because it was stolen from an art museum in Boston in the year 1990. So if you see it at a yard sale or, or hanging in somebody's lake house or something, report it to the FBI because there is a $10 million reward for the recovery of that famous painting by Rembrandt. Well, we're going to talk about how Jesus Christ can calm storms meteorologically, but he can also calm storms in our lives, emotional storms. So let's learn five ways how you can face the storms of life. Number one, you can be close to Jesus and still encounter storms. I say that because a lot of people think, you know, Jesus is in the boat, so nothing bad's going to happen. Well, there was a storm with Jesus in the boat. Some people think, well, because Jesus is in my life, you know, I'm not going to have any trouble. That's not true. Christians do experience all kinds of storms. There are medical storms. Some of you may be going through medical storms right now. You may be going through financial storms or maybe relational storms in your family, but there are all kinds of storms. And just because you're a Christian, you're not immune from them. My good friend Ron Dunn, who's in heaven now, he's talked about a guy who said to him one time, Preacher, I became a Christian now, so it's the end of all my problems. And Ron Dunn said, yes, the front end of all your problems. Because Christians experience adversity. And just because Jesus is in your life doesn't mean you're immune. In fact, Peter, who was in the boat that night, wrote this in 1 Peter 4.12. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes amongst you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. In other words, if you suffer because of the name of Christ. Trouble comes, and it comes in all sizes. It's like waves of the the ocean. It comes, and you may be between waves right now, or you may be right on the top of a wave. I heard a funny story about a Texas rancher. He was out in his pasture, and a bull started chasing him. He jumped down into a hole. And then when the bull passed, he jumped out of the hole. The bull chased him again. He's in the hole, jumping in and out of the hole. One of the ranch hands said, hey, man, why don't you stay in that hole? He said, there's a rattlesnake in that hole. (laughs) And that's what life is like. And believe it or not, that's exactly what the prophet Amos wrote about in Amos chapter 5. He said that life is like a man who's running from a lion and he encounters a bear. Life is like a man who leans up against the wall of his home and thinks he's safe and he gets bit by a snake. So we are not immune from storms. Here's 
Point number two, Jesus permits storms to test our faith. He allows us to go through storms to test us. They woke up Jesus and he asked them two questions. He said, why are you so afraid? And then number two, he said, why do you have no faith? You see, we, he, he was a great teacher because all day Jesus had spent teaching there by the seaside, and then he gives the test after the lecture. And they were failing the test because they were afraid and they had no fear. Once again, Peter wrote this in 1 Peter 1, 6. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is much more precious than gold. You know, God tests us at difficult times in our lives. He didn't test us during the easy times. I mean, it's summertime and the living is easy. The fish are jumping, the cotton's high. Your daddy's rich, your mama's good looking. That's not when God's going to test you. He's going to test you in the wintertime when the living is hard, when the fish are frozen, cotton fields are bare, your daddy's broken, you don't know where your mother is. He's going to test you during those difficult times of life. I wrote a book a number of years ago called, No, That's Not in the Bible. And one of the sayings that people think are in the Bible is this saying, God won't put more on you than you can bear. How many of you ever heard that before? Don't worry, God won't put more on you than you can bear. No, that's not in the Bible. In fact, sometimes God allows us to go through terrible times of affliction, and He tests us during these times. I, I, there are three different kind of tests that God puts us through sometimes. Number one is what I call the pressure test, the pressure test. In other words, God will put you under pressure to see how do you respond. I, I was looking at my can of shaving cream the other day, and God gave me a message through that shaving cream. It said, caution, contents under pressure. And you could also say that about every person. We are under pressure. And God wants to see, he'll bring you to that POTD, that point of total desperation to see if you're going to blow your stack or you're going to keep your cool. The pressure test. Then also there's what I call the people test. Uh, sometimes God will bring people into your life to sort of test you. And I'm not talking about somebody that's sweet and kind and loving. I'm talking about some rough, cantankerous, obstreperous person person that you have one exposed nerve and they just grind that one nerve, that person that when you see them, their number on your caller ID, you say, I'm not answering that. God wants you to love that person, but the only way you can love them many times is to allow Jesus to love that person through you. The third test is what I call the persistence test. Sometimes God wants to know how much will it take before you quit and you give up. Winston Churchill said, when you're going through hell, the secret is to keep on going. Don't stop. He also said the definition of success is moving from one failure to, an, to another failure with no loss of enthusiasm. Have you ever been watching television or listening to radio and all of a sudden this strange tone comes on and you hear a voice that says, this is a test. This is only a test, a test of the emergency broadcast system. Well, whenever you go through adversity, you should hear a voice from God that says, this is a test, a test of your faith. Here's the third principle. Storms force us to cry out to Jesus. Yeah, you know, some of these guys on the boat were fishermen. At least four of them were. And they probably know, knew more about 
handling a boat in a storm than most people did. And they could have given in to the temptation, hey, we're going to fix this problem ourselves. I mean, we're going to turn the boat into the wind. We're going to pull down the sail, bail out the water, paddle towards shore. We won't bother the Lord. And that's our attitude sometimes. When we face problems, we say, you know what? I don't want to bother the Lord with this. I can handle this myself. If that had been their attitude, the last three words they would have said would have been glub, glub, glub. They would have drowned to death. And I said before, sometimes people think, well, God won't put more on you than you can bear. The Apostle Paul said, yes, sometimes you'll be put in such pressure situations that you cannot stand it. It's beyond bearing. In fact, if you look at 2 Corinthians 1.8, Paul said, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed. I mean, that's more than you can bear. Beyond our strength so that we even despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. See, that's our temptation. I don't want to bother the Lord with this problem. I can handle it myself. No, you can't. God puts you in these positions and me in these positions, so we cry out, Lord, save us. If you don't save us, we're going to die. One of my favorite songs is a song that's been around for a couple of decades by the group Third Day, and it's called Cry Out to Jesus. Here are some of the lyrics. To everyone who's lost someone they love, long before it was their time, you feel like the days you had were not enough when you said goodbye. And to all of the people with burdens and pain keeping you back from your life, you believe that there's nothing and there is no one who can make it right. The chorus says, there is hope for the helpless, rest for the weary, and love for the broken heart. There is grace and forgiveness, mercy and healing. He'll meet you wherever you are. Cry out to Jesus. Cry out to Jesus. For the marriage that's struggling just to hang on. They've lost all their faith in love. They've done all they can to make it right again. Still, it's not enough. For the ones who can't break the addictions and chains, you try to give in but you come back again. Just remember that you're not alone in your shame and your suffering. Then the chorus, there is hope for the helpless, rest for the weary, and love for the broken heart. There's grace and forgiveness, mercy and healing. He'll meet you wherever you are. Cry out to Jesus. So here's the fourth way to faith the storms of life. Number four, Jesus will either calm your storm or he'll calm you. Here's, here's the thing I, I like about this story. In the middle of the storm, Jesus is what? He's sound asleep, which teaches us two things about Jesus. Number one, he was 100% human. He had been teaching all day. He was drained. He was tired. He, he experienced fatigue, so he's asleep. But the other thing, in the middle of the storm, he could sleep soundly knowing that they weren't going to sink. He had that much faith. And so when you're going through a storm, we want God to take the storm away. We want him to calm the storm, but sometimes he calms us. And he said to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Don't you have faith? So see, there was two problems that night. One was a meteorological storm, and the other was an emotional storm of fear. And fear can do more damage than the thing you're afraid of. Fear can destroy your peace. 
Most of you have heard of Paul Harvey. Remember Paul Harvey, the radio commentator? He used to tell a story about an Arkansas farmer. The farmer had been losing some eggs and hens from his hen house. And so one night, he put his shotgun by his bed, and he kind of slept with one eye open. And sure enough, he heard a ruckus out in the hen house. And so he picked up his shotgun, and he went sneaking out there in the dark with nothing on but his nightshirt. But as he got toward the hen house, he became afraid because he thought, what if, what if this is a, not a coon? What if it's a bobcat or wildcat or maybe a rabid fox? And he was pausing with fear just a moment. And it was just that second that his old dog, Blue, came up and cold-nosed him right under that nightshirt. <laughs> Kabloom! Paul Harvey said 11 hens lost their lives that night. But he said they didn't die from a shotgun blast. They all died from fear. Because fear can do more damage than the thing you're afraid of. You know, sometimes we want God to take the pain away, take the problem away, take the storm away. And God says, okay, I'm not going to take it away, but I'm going to give you the peace to deal with it. You remember Paul had something called a thorn in the flesh, and we don't know what it was, but he begged the Lord three times to take it away. Look at 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Because of the extraordinary revelation, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me, so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Paul said, Calm the storm. Calm the storm. Take the storm away. Take this thorn away. And God said, no, I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to give you the grace to deal with it. And that's what he does sometimes. You know, I'm a big fan of Gene Stallings, who was a coach at A&M and played for Bear Bryant at A&M, and then also won a national championship as a coach at University of Alabama and from Paris, Texas. You know, uh, they had a son, John Mark, who had Down syndrome. And for years, he sort of struggled with how to handle that. But he, he got a letter from a lady who also had a special needs child. And then this letter, this lady said, you know what? Life is not about waiting for the storm to pass. Life is about learning to dance in the rain. And that's how he finished a lot of his speeches about how it's not about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning how to dance in the midst of the rain. Well, here's the final point. If Jesus is in your boat, you know you'll make it through the storm. Now, that's one thing for sure. If Jesus is in your life, yeah, there are going to be storms, but also I promise you, and he promises you, you're going to make it through the storm. Because in Mark 4, 35, Jesus said these words. Jesus said, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. Now, when the creator of the universe says we're going to cross to the other side of the sea, there was nothing in heaven or on earth or under the earth that could sink that boat. All of the armies and navies of the Roman Empire could not have sunk that boat. All the powers of Satan and his demons could not have sunk that boat because Jesus said we are going to the other side of the lake. So here's sort of the takeaway. Takeaway truth. Jesus never promises a smooth ride but he guarantees a definite destination. Yeah, there are going to be storms, there are going to be problems, but you know what? You're going to make it through. 
Because Jesus said, in my father's house, there are many rooms. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. We all remember that the greatest or the worst maritime tragedy in modern history happened on April the 15th, 1912, when the Titanic sank in the North Atlantic. It was, it was considered to be unsinkable. But you know, it really wasn't an iceberg that sent the Titanic to the bottom. It was the pride and the hubris of those who built it and those who sailed it because they really thought it was unthinkable. One of the survivors, Mrs. Sylvia Caldwell, later testified that one of the officers on the ship said to her, God himself could not sink this ship. But you know, that ship was built in Belfast, Northern Ireland, and a lot of the people that worked there on building the ship, many of them also became part of the crew. And on the Sunday after it sank at the Derry Presbyterian Church in Northern Ireland, there were 16 men from that church who had died and had drowned in the, in the frigid North Atlantic. Their pastor was Andrew Smith, and he preached on the same passage we're talking about today. And he made this amazing observation. He said there was only one vessel in all of history that was truly unsinkable, the little boat occupied by the sleeping Savior. And the only hearts that can weather the storms of life are the hearts with Jesus inside. And that is so true. You know what happened at the end of this passage just kind of always grips my attention? They were afraid earlier because of the storm, but then they were terrified because of the power of Jesus. So for just a moment, put yourself in the soaked sandals of those disciples. I mean, the boat is tossing the wind is blowing, howling. The waves are crashing over the boat. And Jesus stands up and says, quiet. And then, boom, instantly, the sea is like glass. There's not a breath of a wind. And all of a sudden, these disciples look at each other. Who is this man? Have you ever had that sense of awe? and wonder about Jesus, who he is, and what he can do. You know, Peter that night said, who is this guy? But later, Peter would say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. John was asking that night, who is this man? Later, he would write, the word became flesh, and the word was God, and the word was with God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Thomas that night asked the question, who is this man? Later, he would fall before Jesus as a resurrected Savior and say, Jesus, you are my Lord and my God. They, they came to understand who this man is. And I want you to know who this is. This is Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus, the Son of God. I'll tell you who he is. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they, find, they found they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't fault him, and Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't conquer him, and the grave couldn't hold him. I tell you, he's the God of the future. He's the God of the past. He's the first and the last. I wish I could describe him to you, but he's indescribable. He's inconceivable. He's irresistible, and he is Jesus Christ, and you can trust him to calm the storms in your life and to calm you in the midst of your storms. He is Jesus. Let's adore him and worship him. Let's pray.
Father, thank you that you're still calming storms and you're still giving us tranquil, peaceful hearts in the middle of storms. And so tonight, today, Lord, I pray that everybody who's heard your word will know you and know you even better. And Lord, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, may this be the day they invite you to come into their lives and to be Lord of everything in their heart. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you for joining us today with our church family here at Green Acres Baptist Church. And this invitation is for you. Maybe God is stirring in your heart right now from what you have heard. Maybe you need to give your life to Jesus. Maybe God is calling you right now for salvation. You know, the Bible is very clear that if we uh, confess with our mouth and if we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, the Bible says that you will be saved. And so right now you could pray a very simple prayer and just say, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need you to come into my life and save me. If that's you today, we wanna help you and walk with you with this decision. Maybe for others of you, uh, maybe you've been saved, but maybe you've been waiting to get baptized. Uh, Maybe you need to figure out what it means to be a member of our church here at Green Acres. Whatever that decision is, we wanna come alongside you. And so do us a favor. You can fill out the connect card at gabc.org and one of our team members will be with you very shortly. Whatever it is that God has laid on your heart, We want to walk with you in your growth in Jesus Christ. I look forward to hearing from you soon.